Welcome to the Triclinium, a podcast named after the three-sided table used in the Lord's Supper, where you are, where you are invited to join the three of us as we think through matters of Christian faith, practice, and community. My name is Nate Lead, and I'm here as always with my co-host Jacob Hawley and Eric Burgers. And today we will be starting our discussion over the topic of Protestant uh, unity, as well as broader church unity uh, throughout the various branches, uh, theological streams of thought, uh, really the cultural um, uh, barriers and all, all that good stuff. Uh, we're going to be diving into a video uh, actually by, uh, what, what's the name of this YouTuber, guys? His name's Young Anglican. Uh, the video, I believe, is called What is the Future of American Protestantism? Is Hopefully I'm correct on saying that. Um, but anyways, yeah, it, it was kind of my proposal, I guess, to say to bring up this video because I think um, the host, I, I don't know that I know his name or if it's public or not, but either way, uh, he makes a very interesting proposal regarding Protestant or general church unity, I, rather I should say. Um, and I just want to engage it, uh, especially from the Protestant, Protestant perspective, um, as, as he is himself, um, because I think unity amongst the body of Christ is so important. And, uh, unfortunately, as he mentions in the video, uh, Protestantism at the moment and in its past has had the tendency to splinter and, uh, create new denominations and and uh, go separate ways and not commune together institutionally. That is so. Um, I I think this will be a good conversation and hopefully uh, it will be helpful for for anybody who's thinking about these issues of unity and how we uh, really commune together as the body of Christ. Definitely. And in keeping with the spirit of the podcast, you know, we don't want to be an echo chamber where we're only espousing the same ideas and where we're all sitting around a table and speaking at the same time and saying the same things like we we want to uh branch out and and uh we are exploring and wrestling with our faith and we're looking for uh those theological foundations and we're also looking at maybe the areas where we disagree and uh where do we think about these things how do we think about these things and so we hope that you'll join us for this conversation as we uh seek to wrestle with this idea and and i think that all three of us would agree you know we would love to see more unity among the capital C church. Uh, there's been a lot of splintering and divisiveness among uh, political, cultural, theological lines. And uh, I think that this video is our starting place for talking about how we can, uh, as a capital C church, how we can unite under the thing that is most central to us, which is our faith more than anything. So uh, we hope you join us for this discussion and uh, let's just dive into it. So the video that we are watching again is brought to us by Young Anglican on YouTube. Uh, the name of the video is What is the Future of Protestant Churches? I'll just do a high-level overview. We just watched it on 2x speed and so uh, it's a 15-minute video so we we spent seven minutes on it and uh, we hit the major topic. So if you want to dive in uh, to this conversation as well and uh, get some context, you can pause this, go and watch that on double speed. Uh, he I'll put a link a in lot. the description. Awesome. Uh, thanks, Jacob. He goes through a lot in that, so we're going to try and hit the main areas. So I, I was taking notes, and I'll just do a brief run-through of kind of his uh, argument as he lays it out in the video. So uh, he opens the video, and he uh, talks about how Protestantism is perfectly suited for Christian unity. Uh, Organization-wise, uh, ultimately, how churches can band together uh, he states that Protestantism is uh, is primed for Christian unity. Uh, he mentions how the Roman Catholic Church is really good at centering themselves in Catholic countries. Uh, oftentimes, we'll see like the Catholic Church is at the center of town. Uh, it's it's uh, the thing where everybody, where the whole city branches out from. Uh, people structure their days around uh, the times of Mass. Uh, it it's an integral part of the culture and the people's lives. Uh, and so the, the Roman Catholic Church is really good at, at doing that and uh, centering themselves in the culture and in the people in Catholic countries. And he talks about how Roman Catholic churches are very theologically strong, uh, more theologically driven um, versus like a non-denominational 
church which is more seeker friendly so uh, a bit uh, easier on the hard theological lines because uh, they're more welcoming to just the people that aren't aware uh, or aren't uh, that that don't know much about the faith you know they're more seeking or exploring it and so he takes those two as kind of two ends of the spectrum so Roman Catholic churches which are very theologically driven non-denominationals which are more seeker friendly uh, and he makes the argument that we should strive for a combination of both uh, uh, churches that are theologically driven but that are also very seeker friendly so it has strong foundations and is welcoming to all um, or to anybody who's willing to, to step into the door so to speak uh, and then he would he argues that the Anglican Church of America the way that they have organized and set up their uh, church structure the, the various uh, I don't know if you would if hierarchy is the right word for it but it's kind of the just the organizational levels, I would say. Mm -hmm. uh, he makes the argument that the Anglican Church of America is poised to uh, be the theologically strong um, uh, church that's also, you know, can bring in the non-denominational churches under its wing and uh, make a combination of theologically driven and seeker-friendly churches. So uh, that that's a broad overview of the video. Again, you can check out the video in the show notes and uh, you can... Uh, see young Anglican's full uh, argument for it, but we're going to break this down and we're going to talk about this idea of uh, Protestant unity, but also unity among churches. And so I'll kick it to my co-hosts, Eric and Jacob. What do you guys think, just broad level overview, uh, may maybe about the state of Christian unity or Protestant unity, however you guys want to uh, take it in. Wh where are we at now? And uh, I guess what what's our what's our aim to be um yeah thanks nate that was that was really good i, I think um a couple of maybe important clarifiers is like what does it mean to be protestant like I, I people hear that word but like what are we talking about when we say protestant usually protestant just refers to like sociologically it just means any any christian church that isn't under the Catholic Church or Orthodox Church, usually. Um, there are, like, subsets under Protestant, right? So, like, mainline Protestant, radical Protestants, um, and so it's it kind of breaks down, but the big umbrella term is Protestant, and that just means kind of the, the array. So you might think, like, Presbyterian, Methodist, Anglican, Lutheran, Baptist, um, all of those, like, sub-denominations... Um, that you might find your church a part of, uh, or, or, or conferences, or um, whatever you want to call them. So, yeah, it, that's what it means to be Protestant, is basically to reject that the Catholic Church and Orthodox Church are the apostolic and um, one true church, you could say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank so you for that clarifier. Yeah, yeah that's important. I, I, I think that, you know, when we think about church history, there are, you know, the, the three main branches are Catholicism, Orthodoxy and Protestantism. So Protestantism yeah. just encompasses really all churches that are outside of Catholic and Orthodox. So yeah, thank you for that clarifier. Uh, Eric, do you have anything? Yeah, the uh, <laughs> just uh, the other two as well, you could say, is the Assyrian Church of the East and the Oriental Orthodox, who both break off from Catholicism and Orthodoxy, respectively, and are not Protestant also. Um, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, so the, just in case somebody is from one of those traditions, uh, the yeah, we're not trying to be exclusive. Yeah, I, but, I just missed yeah. it. So thanks, Eric. <laughs> yeah, to to uh, to Jacob's um, to Jacob's comments. Um, yeah, there is. I think broadly speaking, Protestantism is to recognize that the church is not limited to one institution as say mm -hmm. the orthodox and the the catholic church will so claim and they'll make their their various arguments for um their church having apostolic authority so they they will say that um they have a direct line or lineage that uh leads back to the apostles through um their bishops and their successors uh which is kind of known as the the doctrine of apostolic succession um, that gives them theological warrant as being the one true church that uh, Jesus Christ himself established and meant to um, 
be the institutional church that operates on the earth. And we as Protestants, mm. in a sense, it depends on how you define apostolic succession. Um, we affirm that we are an apostolic, one holy and apostolic uh, church. However, uh, we just we don't believe that uh, it is limited to a single institution as these two various traditions will will argue for uh, even just to put a little more meat on the bones the anglican church themselves will claim uh apostolic succession through their bishops various anglican uh churches will or um i don't know denomination might be the right word but will claim uh this sort of direct lineage uh as these other traditions do um but are still willing to recognize that um, there are other institutions uh, or denominations that still um, are a part of the body of Christ in some form or another. Um, hopefully that's not too over-nuanced, but um, we can get into the particulars as we go along here a bit more. Yeah, that's good. Another, I think another, like maybe the, 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 uh, Part of this guy's proposal that I thought was the most salient is the idea that all Protestants, so Lutherans, Anglicans, Methodists, Baptists, the whole nine yards, all of them, um, should join together and basically have like a common table at the top of the hierarchy so that they're leading and governing the broader Protestant church together. The problem with the current Protestant church is it's more of a category than it is an actual church. Yes. Um, it's not, the Protestants are not, are not uh, an institution. They are just a group of different institutions. Um, and so he was, he was advocating that you almost, you keep the ground level churches pretty much how they are. Um, Baptist churches and Methodist churches and Lutheran churches. But, and in each of those would fund um, through their tithing uh, or a, a percentage of their tithe, mm -hmm. um, the the organization that they fall, or the order, he calls it, the order, kind of borrowing from the Catholic, um, you know, like the Franciscans and the Augustinians and the um, the Dominicans, right? This, these different orders of um, of Protestantism. So you're, so if I'm a Lutheran and I go to my, my local Lutheran church um, and I tithe, he would say, part of that tithe goes to uh, organizing the greater Lutheran order of the Protestant church. So so each of these, you know, you could say the Methodist church, the Lutheran church, the uh, Presbyterian church are no longer individual churches. They're orders under the greater and more unified Protestant church, um, and that each of them have representatives at the table at the highest levels, um, helping govern and, and uh, guide the ship. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. A very fascinating idea. Yeah. So if I understand him correctly, um, and he'll use the this language in the video, um, he argues for what's called a general synod, which uh, mm -hmm. is kind of a, a bit ironic because I think what he's arguing for is in itself an institution that helps together yeah. govern Protestant into institutions. Mm -hmm, um, so mm -hmm. we, we can get into that in, in just a minute here. But... Uh, to fall in line with it. Uh, Protestant churches, interdenominational churches, um, would co-sign with this institution, uh, become a part of its body, you could say, under minimal theological requirements, as he mm -hmm. uh, states in the video, which is the Athanasian... No, sorry, not the Athanasian. The Apostles. Uh, apostle, yeah, excuse me. And as well as the five sole um, that is found within the Protestant Reformation. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, the proposal on its head is an intriguing one because it at least presents a positive case for Protestant churches to find unity with each other, to, to mm -hmm. not um, splinter at every theological disputation. Um, so the pull of it is... Um, I think weighty because I can't think of any way that Protestant churches are seeking to, on a large scale, unite together um, as one body of Christ, um, and that's that's a shame. I think in 
in mm. and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very clearly commanded throughout Scripture that the body of Christ ought to be unified. And so when we mm-hmm. um, when we won't commune with one another um, because of various issues, that's a bit concerning. And you know, obviously we have to take seriously our theological disagreements. But part of what makes this his case so interesting is we have to discern and do some theological triage here to say where do we break uh community with one another like literal like investing in each other's churches type community mm-hmm. um and i'm interested in exploring that idea and hopefully fleshing it out, out a bit here so hmm. yeah that's good so so here's a question with this with this framework this idea of a, of a protestant church capital c church institution um which kind of governs at a very minimal level right like kind of like the federal government they're not involved in everything they let a lot of the states govern right how they want to do certain things but they do have like the essentials right um uh so like currency for the federal right or in the in the broader protestant church it might be like you know like salvation by faith alone right yeah um Kind of like a federal constitution, uh, you know, that applies to all yeah. people living in the nation, but the states are allowed to govern themselves, uh, to have self-government uh, within their localities. So, yeah, I, I, exactly. that, that's actually a very good example. So a constitution that applies to everybody, but allows the separate parts or separate branches to, uh, to, to govern how they uh, ultimately see fit. So, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, my... My initial question is, how do we know, and this kind of gets into, (laughs) this gets into part of the problem, Yeah. is, okay, first off, this, this is a good question. So with the, with the Catholic Church, all of the people who would consider themselves Catholics, I think, and this is, you know, this is just a general statement, but I think this is broadly true, have to believe that the people at the top of their institutional hierarchy, so the Pope and the Magisterium and yeah. all the bishops and cardinals, that they are saved. <laughs> um, the problem is that in our our situation, Protestants have for a long time wondered heavily about the qualifications for salvation and have seen their, what we might say, Protestant brothers and sisters across the denominational divides as not meeting those qualifications, right? So things like um, you guys are baptizing your babies and you, you guys aren't. You guys believe this is the real body of Christ and you guys don't, right? Like there's there's some pretty big questions, right? Sure. Um, and, and the question is like, how, how are we sure that those aren't essentials? Mm. How do we become certain that sacramentology or ecclesiology or um, general biblical hermeneutics aren't essential doctrines. How, how do we become clear on that? And uh, because he, he advocates the five soli and he advocates the ap- apostles in Nicene Creed, which I think a lot of people would agree with, but how come not more? And, and how, how do we bring all of those denominations to the table and say, no, 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 these seven things are really the only things that matter for our organization. We don't need any more, right? Yeah, I think uh, just building off of that, you know, when, when I first saw this video, one of my first reactions was, I mean, unity is, is amazing. You know, even, even unity just for uh, Christian unity's sake is worth pursuing. But uh, doesn't this idea of, well, it's, it's very blue sky. Hey, let's all unite under one kind of governing uh body that allows us to maintain our individual uh, faith practices and, and kind of, uh, you know, uh, theological doctrines, but uh, ultimately unifies and connects us all. Um, it's very blue sky, but doesn't this kind of just spit in the face of the hundreds of years of church history where there, these uh, these branches have happened? Like, the these divisions have already happened, and so, like, well it's i in my view it would be very hard for people to go back and say well sure we can be united over kind of an umbrella 
place when we've already split from them in the past. I, I just feel like mm-hmm. that's like that's a very hard barrier. And and Jacob, to your point, it's already been done. You know, it's the arguments have been had over what is core, and the church traditions have split. So, it would take a a, a, a great amount of humility in my mind for people to and for church organizations to uh, say, yeah, we can we can maintain our our splitness and be united. I mean, that I think that's mm-hmm. a tall order. Yeah, yeah, that's. Really great point, Nate. And I want to offer two thoughts uh, in response to what you said there. Number one, I I don't think that what he was arguing in the video is that we must immediately overcome these differences and submit to a governing authority. At the very beginning of the video, um, he was talking about sort of the messiness that Protestantism finds itself at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. his proposal is more of an opportunity to hopefully clear the waters between Protestant denominations and find a way to become unified. He's not arguing for um, obedient, well, let's settle Credo versus Pado baptism, otherwise you're anathema. Um, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I think that's a bit. Even what what you were saying, Jacob, I think is a bit beyond the scope of what the video is proposing. Um, Mm. Rather, I think he's arguing for something very general, where that general synod that we had mentioned previously is kind of a means by which uh, this governing body can help to work out these issues between various denominations. So like an example that he used in the video... um, it, it seemed as though he he doesn't think that there's too much difference between, say, uh, an Anglican church and uh, a certain division of the Methodist church as well. And he says he mm-hmm. said something like, "Do we really need to be divided over? Um, like, what do we even really disagree on? You know, oh, we're just a part of mm-hmm. different denominations." Um, can't, and the general synod's responsibility would be to point that out and facilitate conversation between the two, which I think is good. I actually think that's a really good proposal because there has to be some avenue by which we're seeking unity and we're actually talking with each other in some sort of meaningful way where it's not just individuals within the lay people who have conversations here and there um, and then hopefully someday it works itself out. I think uh, the proposal is strong in that, in the sense that it brings about meaningful, hopefully meaningful conversation. The second thing mm-hmm. I was going to refer to, Nate, is that, yes, uh, church history has been messy and that there has been divisions that have become, to this present day, uh, pretty settled at the moment. There's, um, you know, you'll hear the figure that there's 44,000 Protestant denominations, which I think is... Uh, grossly absurd uh, and there's really like five major ones and they all kind of stem out of those five major denominations um, mm-hmm. but in the throughout church history pre-reformation people particularly in the west obviously there's the split between the orthodox and the catholic church but however the people writing in the past referred to themselves as the catholic church the universal church and they saw themselves as a part of that unified body consistently, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a sense in which there was, gr- like, we're not going to say that there wasn't great theological disagreement in the church pre-Reformation and that mm-hmm. everybody believed the same thing all the time. That's that's a bad way to do church history, in my opinion. There mm-hmm. was great disagreement. Yeah. Otherwise, we wouldn't have major ecumenical councils that people hold to today. Um mm-hmm. So that all being said, the point is there has to be a sense in which we see each other as the Catholic Church with that word meaning more universal, you know, in that sense. Mm-hmm. How do we how do we get back to that? Because I think we do a, a terrible job as that uh, as Protestants at the moment and we're not willing to um, get back to one another. Now, you could say that can be done without having institutional um co like merging with one another and that we can just continue mm-hmm. on as we are at the moment but i don't know i i'm not sure if that's how it worked 
sort of in the past. And I think that's kind of the concern that he's getting at. So there, there have been, and I'm not very well studied on this area of history, but there have been several attempts I know by the proud, uh, sorry, the Presbyterians and the Lutherans to try to reconcile the differences and come to the table and like, uh, you'll get the, these kind of like vaguely reformed or ref- reformation churches. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the canons of Dort came out of that. I could be wrong. Um, but basically the idea is like you just kind of take all the things that make Protest- or Presbyterians Presbyterians over against Lutherans and all the things that make Lutherans Lutherans over and against Presbyterians. All the things that they disagree on and you just say, well, those aren't essential anymore. And the problem is that every time they end up splitting apart again because they just can't hold yeah. long term. And so my concern with that is um, I think that the institutional approach is kind of like an arranged marriage. Like it's it's trying to tell two people or two agents that they are going to be together and just kind of hoping that they do, right? Like but and you know sometimes arranged marriages work yeah but when you're dealing with that many people it is very uncommon that they i mean every empire falls right every institution ends up collapsing at some point mm-hmm. um yeah so. i i'm in agreement with you there jacob because my sort of critique i guess you could say or worry about the proposal is um the general synod becomes the church i guess uh mm-hmm. o- over time let's say let's say it ideally works out in the way that the the vision is proposed and the church slowly becomes unified institutionally because I, I think that's mm-hmm. the goal of the video is institutional unity really i think right. it's one big argument for anglican church polity <laughs> in, in, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in, in a sense well uh, and the, and that general it, synod is kind of the avenue by which uh Mm-hmm. the institutions blend together so the question yeah, is yeah. is that the trajectory that we're supposed to be aiming towards and i'm not sure i'm possibly i you know you can hope for that but the danger is that it becomes uh, arranged marriage like james say right well what's interesting is you know when i think about the the councils that have happened in the past uh as well as the creeds that have come out, the Reformation split, it's all been over belief. You know, it's, it's been people trying to seek the right, the right things mm-hmm. to believe the correct doctrine. And so this idea, you know, Eric, when you were talking, it was like, it sounds like he's advocating for like new councils to come about. But if the mm-hmm. goal is not to talk, not to, if everybody can just keep believing what they already believe, then what's the point? Because right. like it, I get unifying, but every time we've, every time churches have done it in the past, it's it's been over belief, and they've been trying to find the right thing to believe, and then that's when splits happen because two groups of they, they come to two conclusions, and people will fall into one of those two camps, and so now mm-hmm. it's like, is I, I guess I'm missing the broader scope. Like, is it more so for, like, because he he emphasized uh, tithing and like. A percentage of your tithe will move up through the organization. So you you give to your local church. That local church gives to its regional uh, body, and that regional body gives to its you know national or whatever body, and then that goes into its kind of bucket. So it can go into yeah. various uh, causes or whatever. And so is the ultimate goal social change? You know, to advocate for you know to put money into changing for social well then that that has its own set of barriers and own set of disunifiers because then you're getting on po- uh, political lines or cultural lines mm-hmm. or societal mm-hmm. lines and it just and then it all falls, falls apart again and then it's like well if the if the uh, organization itself or the i forget what the what he, word he used the synod. For, but it, yeah if yeah. this if the synod the general gives synod, money to yeah. both yeah if the general synod gives money to both camps you know like like uh, I I don't know what topic to use as an example, but if it if it gave to a very you know conservative uh, uh, right you right. know like C- conversion uh, camps and pride parades right like if it's yeah, giving right. to both of those <laughs> right well if if, it, if they give money to uh, to pro life organizations or to 
uh, abortion right. clinics, it's like, well, what's the point then? Because then you're just supporting both sides. So it just, it, yeah. it seems like it's, it, he's trying to unify in kind of a pie in the sky. Like this would be great if we all come together, but, but it, it just seems really messy and complicated. And I, I know that he says, you know, Hey, well, what's more important to us, these social issues or our general, you know, shared faith. Mm-hmm. It's like the social issues are inc- like, you can't downplay the importance. Because yeah. The churches have already <laughs> split in the past because of them. So yeah. I, I mean, it, it's really hard to reconcile those differences. Um, Especially, I, I think now today too. I mean, in the United States, everything is very political. People are very yes. uh, political, and now politics are are melding into cultural. So political topics are cultural topics at the same time. So even if you're yeah. if you don't pay attention to politics, what you believe on a cultural level applies to politics because they're starting to blend in this weird way. Mm. So somebody who may be completely apolitical still is, you know. So I. It, I don't know. It, there's so many different facets, and I think that maybe I'm, maybe I'm complicating it. But I'd, I'd love to hear. So, Jacob, what, what do you got? <laughs> if if I went to my grandma tomorrow and I said, "Good news, grandma, the Protestant Church has decided to unify. So you are now it, within the same institution as the Presbyterians. Um, you can consider yourself a proud Protestant. The only downside is we're really not clear on where abortion lies on that." Um, so some people are for it, some people are against it, and it will all overall weaken uh, the church's uh, anti-abortion stance. My grandma would be livid. She would not, she would be like she would be like that's not what I care about. I care about you know this political issue. I don't care about you know the I, I care about the ethics of of abortion way more than I do whether or not Presbyterians are united with Baptists. Like you know, and I think this also gets to the point that like. <laughs> We already kind of see each other as united, I yeah. think. Yeah. And there's always, like, you could say every group has some level of unity with the other group. And so, like, for instance, um, you'll see, like, these think tanks pop up around, like, really big social issues um, where it's like, we brought these five different religious leaders to the table to talk about. And really what they're representing is religious belief in general. Right, they're they're united in that they all have some sort of re- religious belief. It might be a Hindu and a Muslim and a Christian and you know a Church of Scientology. Who knows, right? But like they're all representing religion, right? Where and, and in the same way, like I think we will always disagree. The pre- Baptists will always disagree with the Presbyterians. Presbyterians will always disagree with the Lutherans. We that doesn't mean that we by necessity say we are united in nothing. We are not united at all. Right. Even Paul and Barnabas didn't agree on the on whether or not, um, you know, like on how to run a, a little crucial aspect of the, of their ministry of their missions. Right. Um, right. I mean, wasn't it to go east or to go west? Like it, it was as simple uh, as the direction to. It take, was to bring. It? I'm I'm blanking now on who it was. It was to bring Silas oh, along. John or, Mark. Yes. I thought was, John Mark. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. To bring John Mark along or not, and they ended up going their separate ways. And it's right. like, do you yeah. think Paul was walking around going, yeah, that Barnabas, he's not a real Christian? Like, no, of course not. But mm-hmm. he recognized that they weren't united on that, and that right. was okay. Um, so I think there's this, like, there's this fascination and obsession sometimes with institutional unity, where institutional unity is usually just, like, a contract that states what's already true, and then when things change, that contract is held up as sacrosanct. Yeah. And it's like, but where, you know, just, you have to, you can't legislate these things, right? You can't legislate whether or not a Presbyterian in a Presbyterian church sees a Methodist as a true believer or not, right? Like, you can't legislate that on on the common ground. They have to decide that for themselves, you know? Yeah, I think this is, go ahead, Nate, sorry. No, well, I I was just going to mention, too, you know, the the issues change as well. Like, a big one that we're seeing come up uh, in, in today's world that, we've never seen before is AI, you know, and, and all the different facets of, of that, you know, with like Elon Musk wants to put a, a microchip in our brains, you know, he's accepting human uh, patients for that, for people to receive that procedure. So, you know, the, these things that are actually changing who we are as, as people, you know, or, or AI and is it right to, you know, whatever else, you know, that's an issue that the Bible doesn't talk about. So, mm-hmm. so the, the societal issues that we approach or that, that are presented to us, I should say, um, they change over time. And I think that 
it's it's natural for people to to fall into either a pro or a, a, a an against stance mm-hmm. on those but that doesn't change the fact that we're still we're still christians in that but i i, I don't know yeah yeah I, this, I don't this... know what i'm trying to say by that but but just that it's tough when it's tough when we're trying to seek unity among all issues but issues constantly change and new issues are brought yeah, about that's it mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. this is i think proud of the, part of the broader critique of just the anglican ideal of church polity in general as well like uh jordan b cooper if you've ever watched any of his videos he's a lutheran uh theologian on on youtube uh part of the reason that he had said i believe he has said in the past why he's lutheran and not anglican is because anglicans uh proclaim uh church unity but it's it's merely artificial because uh you know we have some people over here who say yes women pastors and then others over here who say no and it's like well are are we really unified if we're if we're not teaching the same doctrine as well right like our or is this just sort of a, a title that we're giving ourselves uh and we're just committed to this institution but we're not actually agreed upon uh what we're we're practically teaching and so like his response is like well i'm luth part of the reason i'm lutheran is because we actually agree on these things and we teach these things uh as a part of our adherence to the book of concord and uh in our synods uh our uh man that the word has escaped me anyways uh, a part of our institutions uh teachings so uh yeah, yeah the the critique of the 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 church polity that I think he's pushing towards is uh, it seems like unity without real um, personal belief in the unity, which I think is what both of you are kiting, kind of getting at because we're, we're not actually unified. We're just saying we are. Yeah. And I think the key to that is that again, both the Catholic and Orthodox church, the, the top of the hierarchy is has some level to be infallible, right? Or, or not, not maybe not infallible, but everybody has bound themselves to submit underneath that leadership. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the real problem is that like, where if you're going to create a Protestant church, you, what you would have to do is you'd basically have to elect a set of representatives from each of the denominations and say, these people have been chosen by God to... <laughs> to represent these different orders of the church, and you must submit to what they say your denomination even is, right? So imagine the Missouri Lutheran Synod, and uh, the, I, I think that's the more conservative one. I'm, you know, I, I yes, get kind of it is. mixed up. The more conservative one. Imagine that, and, and the more liberal, like, like imagine they the elect LC, a representative. The LCMS the, yeah. and the EL... CA, I believe it is. So the Lutheran yes, Church yes. Missouri Synod and the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, which are both that's right, that's polar right. opposites theologically at this point. Totally. In time. <laughs> totally. So imagine saying, here's our Lutheran representative at the table, and it's one of those, and the other one doesn't get a representative, or there's a, or there's a, like a, you know, it's like Congress where there's like a shifting amount of representatives from each one based off of, like, what? Based off the numbers of churches, or a number of people in the thing, or just, you know, like, is it like the Senate, where there's just two per no matter what? Mm -hmm. So then you have, like, Anabaptists who have two, where and Presbyterians who have two, and there's very different sizes of, you know, like, global uh, adherence. I just think that like the the construction of something like that synod would be a ridiculous and quickly usurped undertaking. Like where it's like I don't even believe that like my representative it represents our denomination. And then what ends up happening is this institution is revolted against, yeah. or you could say protested by certain people. And then you have a whole new set of Protestants who are like, no, we don't like this institution. We're doing our own thing. So I just think, I, like, I understand the desire to be like the Catholics or the Orthodox in, in our unity. But what would end up happening, I think, like, we, we, don't, have, we don't have the central dogma that, that 
allows for that. We don't have apostolic succession in that sense. And by apostolic succession, I mean incarnate apostolic succession. Like, there is a person, individual, who you can see on earth who is the the apostolic successor, right? Like the Pope or or the patriarchs in, in, the, in the East. We don't have that. We have a bunch of people skeptical of themselves and of other people. And I think that that will never lead to something like apostolic succession in, and the unity that comes from that. I don't know that I believe the Catholics or the Orthodox have that either, but... <laughs> well, certainly, but they do, and that's yeah. what matters, right? Yes. As an institution, they do. Uh, that was just a little joke, oh, jab, yeah. side no. joke, but... <laughs> uh, yeah. I, yeah, that's a great point, Jacob. Uh, I, I don't remember... like. I worked in a non-denominational church, and the, it was more of a joke. But anytime something just seemed wrong, or like I don't know if we are full in full agreement, we would just say, "Let's just go start our own church." Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if you guys hear that, but it's just Protestants are so quick to just be like, "Well, let's just go do it our own way." Like, <laughs> yeah. And you know, church maybe, planting. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Oh man, it's so like, often not denominational. Usually, it's just like. Well, it's these people who didn't like the way this church was running, and they were like, God's given us a vision for a new church, and then it's usually just like, we just didn't like the leadership of that last church. And So uh, maybe know, maybe what we should get out. into then, we've, we've made an awful lot of negative claims against the case that, that he has made. Are, are we arguing that we should just continue on as it's trended at the moment, hmm. or are we... Hmm. Do we have any positive vision for church unity ourselves? Yeah, or that's a great question. Are we just tearing I, down I every... Yeah, because I, mean, it, I, I, I still am somewhat pondering his um, his proposal. And, and the reason I am, I, I'm totally on board with you guys as far as the concerns go. My biggest concern probably would be theological liberalism. And if the, the synod at the top turns liberal what do we do you know like uh, mm -hmm. uh, it's it, it gets ugly there and you know like well we could pray that it gets better and just kind of like the the anglicans at the moment are doing the the conservative mm -hmm. anglicans you know and it's like you know mm -hmm. maybe it will and and that would be great if it does but um I, I also see the persuasion that we do continue in our convictions in, in our own congregations at the moment with how we're trending at the moment, and we're prepared to call other Christians Christians, you know? We're, mm -hmm, we're, mm -hmm. we're prepared to say that these people within their own institution over here are still a part of the body of Christ. So there's like a there's a passage that Gavin Ortland uses on YouTube as well. He's a Baptist scholar um, at the moment, runs a great channel called Truth Unites. He uses this one all the time as an example of uh, the Protestant ideology. It's Matthew seven fifteen through twenty, where he says, "Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits." Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every mm -hmm. healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot mm -hmm. bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize mm -hmm. them by their fruits. That is the mm -hmm. Protestant ideology in my mind. It's that we can say that there are other healthy trees out there <laughs> we're not the only institutional tree that there is right mm -hmm. and that um each of these other trees are bearing good fruit as well and we can see that i see fruit in the anglican church i see fruit in the lutheran church so on and mm -hmm. make the the way down the line and, and i am prepared to call these people brothers and sisters in christ because we're united on I think the essentials of, of the gospel and yeah uh, what are you guys thinking on what I'm saying here I, I'm kind of losing my train of thought a little bit but you know I, w I was going to ask the same question in our remaining time we should you know I guess at least try and talk about what unity could look like and just even as I was thinking about it um, it 
there's no easy answer. So I, I commend young Anglican for, for thinking through this uh, important matter and coming up with a with an idea. Uh, and he's not here to defend himself. So <laughs> I, I feel kind of <laughs> bad that we're, that we're kind of, uh, you know, putting him down, but not putting him down, but just his, the idea. Um, I, I, I think an institutional unifying organization, um, I don't know, it's kind of what Protestant broke from, you know, Protestantism broke off of the Catholic Church. It's kind of in our history that we don't really like overarching big, big bodies of, of government, um, of church government, that is. So I, I was thinking about it, you know, in my time, I, I worked as, uh, as director of local outreach. And one of the things that uh, I, I was a part of and wanted to uh, do more of was interact more with the local churches in my area. So I'm in Dallas. And uh, there's an organization called uh, Unite DFW, I think. And basically their whole goal is to bring churches from across the Metroplex, as we call it, which is Dallas, Fort Worth, and all the surrounding suburbs, um, mm-hmm. to bring them all together for for uh, occasions of worship and prayer and to uh, talk about what, what we're doing and, you know, maybe uh, join in mission together. And so... Uh, I think that if if churches and, and denominations are going to unite in any way, I think that it does have to be under, uh, or I guess it has to be more localized, where it's churches that are interacting with the churches around them. Uh, I think it's much harder to maintain unity when you're across the country. Um, like if mm-hmm. you're in California versus Georgia or New York or whatever, Unless you're, unless you believe the exact same thing, because then you're united under your belief. But churches that are in the same locality that believe different things, um, I think it's even more important to be united in some things. Uh, and then the question becomes: Well, if we're not united in belief, what do we unite under? And it's like, okay, well, you know, what's the point of gathering if we don't believe the same thing, or if we, if we have different uh, worship or different, uh, even different beliefs, you know, what, what does a sermon look like? And so the question, I mean, one of the questions in my mind is, do we unite under like action? Like, do we unite under shared social, uh, change? And then that kind of falls into the line of, uh, like social justice church streams. Uh, honestly, but this I don't is know. where I, his, I a lot. this is, this is where his proposal could be pretty strong because again, I think the idea of his proposal is that the general synod pushes towards working these things out and getting towards a genuine institutional unity. The problem is that human beings are sinners and that we're going to uh, go our own way at times and Mm. uh, just do what we want to do. And so the, the, the pushback is, is institution... Is institutional unity feasible? Is it even possible? Um, and that is that I think is what I got to continue to to wrestle over because, in a sense, it's like well, we do need to work out these issues. We do need to talk about these issues, and because not everybody can be right, you know, and yeah, doctrinal unity is important among the body of Christ. But like Jacob well, that, said, that's the, what I'm saying. You know, the idea of a general synod, it sounds more like a, a reconvening for a council, you know, to work through beliefs. But in his proposal, it sounds like, well, it's not really a working through of beliefs. We're not trying to, to unify over those topics because everybody can just stay the same. Everybody can just stay in their respective mm-hmm. denomination. So I, think I think it's that's almost, kind of the issue for me. I think almost the goal is like, uh, he, the goal is to prune not to cut off our well pruning is cutting off but the goal is to prune in the sense that we're we're trying to shed ourselves and come to agreement on smaller issues like he used the example of the anglican church and uh the uh like northern methodist or whatever he said and say look there's not disagreement here can we combine our churches together can we worship together there's not much difference what's the point of being separated so to like 
slowly wean off the small disagreements and then i think the ideal is to like talk through and hopefully come to some sort of agreement on the big ones but then it's like what jacob said is like somebody's not going to agree with that and then there's going to be just more splitting uh as the time goes so this is a complicated issue and Definitely. I'm not. Sh- I would really have to think for a long time, perhaps even a lifetime, about the answer to this. <laughs> but at least he is putting forward a positive case, and I think it it it's just going to take some thinking through and and pushing towards something. Go ahead, Jacob. Hmm. Yeah. So I- I've thought about this a lot too, because I remember going through kind of an existential crisis when I was in college, thinking golly, what church do I join? And, you know, where's the truth and all that? Same. Um, and I, I, the, here's where I, the conclusion that I've come to. Um, every instance that I can think of, and there, if, maybe there, maybe I'm wrong, but every instance that I can think of in the scriptures of church discipline occurring, which is one of the points that he said, like, church, we need, churches need to be able to discipline. And that was one of the big points that he made, is like, you, a church that can't discipline basically die, like it, it, it becomes corrupt. So, but every, every one that does, uh, that does discipline, every instance of discipline in the scriptures in the early church is not based off of doctrine. It's based off of practice. It's, bre- it's based off of, uh, disobedience, right? Um, more specifically, uh, and so, and like the, the, the sinning against brothers and sisters, so here's my approach. I would say we almost, this is maybe radical, and maybe I'll disagree with this later on in my life, but we all come to the, to the, the table to discuss the scriptures. Um, and basically, um, regard, regardless even what we believe about the scriptures, but that we are drawn to the scriptures. There's something, because like you could get into, well, do we have to believe it's inerrant or infallible or you know, go down the list? Like We have to come for the scriptures. The, the church has to attempt to discern the message of the scriptures. I think that's crucial. Um, and to discern in them who Jesus Christ is um, and to, tr- to attempt to proclaim that. I think that what happens at that level is there, there is no exercising people because they believe the wrong things or they don't believe enough because I can't find a line that we draw there that's not basically arbitrary um about like when we can get rid of somebody so i think it's more a posture i think it's it's about are you here to read and understand the scriptures right um as the foundation of the church and then what you believe can be argued about it within the context of uh of of the church so i had a leader uh in my youth group who, who i very much respect uh, his name's Paul, and he told me, he, he, he said, I think the church needs to be uh, a place where I can come together with my brother uh, in Christ, and I can take this book, and we can argue till we're blue in the face over what this book really means and what it says, and then we can go and take communion together, and we can worship together, and, and we can, uh, or whatever expressive unity we can find with each other, um, where the doctrine almost becomes not the most important, but rather the posture of wanting to be obedient to what the scriptures um, have for us, right? So I would say, uh, I would say it would it would be healthier if we had a complete and full commitment to one another, regardless of the intricacies of our doctrine, um, under the guise that that we will come together, we will gather together, um, and we will attempt as best we can, even if there are groups that disagree with each other in the midst of the church, we will agree to attempt to obey Christ together. And I think that opens the table to just about everybody. Um, so all of a sudden there's no institution. It's all volitional. It's the, it's, it's me deciding to commit myself to a group of people, even though, and this is the real point of it is, even though I don't maybe feel like I'm uh, always among friends, I don't always feel like I am safe in the arms of people who agree with me on everything because the reality is at some level, everyone will disagree with you about something, right? So you're never fully safe. Um, and 
And so I think it's about fostering the atmosphere where that our unity can transcend all of our our disagreements. And and that's the thing is Paul Paul is very clear in the scriptures about exercising and getting rid of people who start divisions, who say my way or the highway, basically, right? And you think about like all of church splits, they've all been under the guise of, well, this is the pure and proper doctrine, right? Um, but it could be as subtle as, you know, we don't believe we should use instruments in worship. So we're going to, we're going to get kick the, you know, we're going to get out of there. And there's some things where it's more apparent than others that like, this is not, this is, this is not of a spirit of unity. This is just nitpicky. Right. And there's others where it's like, well, this seems like it's really important. And so we'll accept this. I would just, I would go dogmatic on one thing. And that is that we all gather together. Um, and we argue with each other because that's, I think, what love does. Love doesn't just abandon the neighbor. Love contends with the neighbor and wrestles with him until a, a unity, a true unity is, is met. Yeah. Um, I think there's there's elements there that I agree with you there, Jacob, but other elements I think I'd have to see more by what you mean because, like, the scriptures themselves... I think I get what you're saying. Uh, church discipline occurs with disobedience, I think is what you're saying. But mm-hmm. it also presupposes that the reason maybe that it do- isn't talking about particular beliefs within church discipline is because it presupposes a set of beliefs already. So like, for me, that would be like, we believe in Christ, the the God-man, right? Mm-hmm. He, wa- he was God where we're not you don't see church discipline over that because at the time with the authority of the apostles present they already believed that so there's like there there's nothing to be disciplined about there um so there has to be some set like in his proposal with the five sole in the in the creeds there has to be some set upon which we are at the table and now we're disagreeing over these things over here but we already agree on essentials of the faith here so yeah uh, yeah it the other issue that i was thinking of as you were talking about it too would be uh, what role does tradition play as we uh, are arguing over the scriptures as well because it almost seemed like a complete shedding ourselves of tradition as we're arguing uh over that general uh agreement upon we should argue over the scriptures and i think tradition has to play some sort of role within that disagreement as well because the holy spirit does not speak only within the scriptures themselves but he has spoke i think through church figures over time as well he's been in this is kind of where where we got at the introduction of our look into the creeds is that the holy spirit has worked in his people throughout time and there's mm-hmm. there's been a message throughout time as well as in the scriptures themselves, you know. So, yeah. Well, but then remember, I said back in those back at that time, mm-hmm. tradition doesn't have authority over us. Mm-hmm. It is good and profitable, and it is loving for us to engage with it because we're 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 loving across generations, right? I'm loving. This sounds weird, but I'm loving Athanasius by reading what he wrote. But that doesn't mean I have to agree with Athanasius on everything you wrote. And most Protestants would say that, right? Like, there's, the, I don't know that there's almost anything outside of the creeds that Protestants would say you have to agree with. Um, and I would just say maybe even the creeds are, uh, can be can be argued against. Um, yeah, I think and still maintain a unity of church. I think I think tradition can have some role of authority, but not an infallible one, as say the Roman Catholic Church or the Orthodox Church will teach. Um, mm-hmm. I think it has to. Otherwise, we're we're solo scriptura type people, where we're mm-hmm. just it's just me and my Bible under a tree, and I don't care about what other people say. Um, mm. And I'm coming up with everything on the fly, and I think that's a big. Th- yeah, well, I would argue that the authority that the uh, that the tradition has is that it, it's it's really it's a it's an extrapolation of Christ's command. To love your neighbor so it, it, in a sense like we're bound to tradition because they are those who came before us we're not bound to them like you said in any fallible or infallible way we're bound to them because they were the christians that came before us and we have to engage with what they said um but engagement doesn't mean agreement 
I would say. Yeah, this is tricky. I, I, hopefully this has been helpful for folks. Does anybody have any last comments? I think we should probably close out here. Just that, uh, you know, this is a, a difficult conversation and, uh, you know, we're, we're really thankful uh, to young Anglican for uh, him making his video and proposing an idea. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I hope that, you know, we, we obviously engaged pretty rigorously with his idea. And so we want to make it clear that, you know, there's no, uh, there's no malintent. Uh, there's no anger or frustration or anything towards uh, young Anglican, but rather just that we hope that this provides an example for what it may look like for uh, uh, different believers of different faith traditions uh, to come together and to talk about different ideas and what it may look like. So maybe we'll reach out mm-hmm. to young Anglican and uh, ask him to come on the show. That'd be fun. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that'd be crazy. Our if we could get him with us peasants here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like his glasses. I'll, I'll have to ask yeah. him where he got him. Um, all right, guys. Well, thanks as always for listening to the Triclinium. Um, like we said, like we say every time, uh, if you have any questions or comments or you want to reach out to us, um, just email uh, sophomoreofficial at gmail.com. S O P H O M O R O S. So many O's. Um, sophomoreofficial uh, at gmail.com, and we'd love to we'd love to hear from you. And uh, as always, may Christ be exalted.